You are listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well, where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning, purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Mingfoynes, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. Welcome, everyone. I am so delighted to introduce Ivy Ingram to you this week and so thrilled she was able to join us on this podcast. Ivy is a dear soul and an Ayurvedic practitioner and yoga teacher, and she offers education and natural support for digestive issues, stress management, women's health, and a variety of other concerns. She also has a master's degree in counseling psychology and advanced training in yoga and has been helping clients experience deeper health and healing for over 17 years. So she is a treasure trove of information. She is a former faculty member of the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico under the direction of Dr. Vasant Lad, where she also received her Ayurvedic practitioner certification. I'm also so excited for her to be here today because I love Ayurveda. I think it offers so much wisdom. I see it as a central component to living our lives with alignment, and it emphasizes the importance of intuition, listening to ourselves, supporting synchrony of mind, body, and spirit through connection with the environment. And so just very excited to share some of this wisdom with you all here today. So Ivy, welcome and thank you for joining us. Mm, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Melissa, for, for having me. Of course. So I'd love to start off with a brief introduction to Ayurveda for those folks who may be listening and are new to Ayurveda or don't know that much about it. So could you share a little bit about what Ayurveda is? Surely. I think for most people listening, it may not be a familiar term. Um, or now that it's, it's creeping its way into the mainstream, it may be a familiar term, but not so much is known about it uh, in a deeper way. So Ayurveda is the traditional healing system of India. So it started thousands of years ago, probably over 5,000 years ago. And some would say it is one of the oldest continuously practiced systems of healthcare still in operation mm. <laughs> on the planet. So this is really a, a great traditional form of medicine. Mm -hmm. But also more than that, as I see it, it also offers us incredible guidance around how just to live a healthy life. Mm -hmm. um, I think with our incredible advances in modern medicine and modern science, Ayurveda offers a nice complement in that it gives us a lot of wisdom around how to be preventing illness from getting lodged in the first place. So I think that's one of the, the great strengths of Ayurveda um, in, in many Families, it's been tra traditionally practiced and passed down from family to family in India, um, from generation to generation. And I think of it really as being um, 
it, in its in its brightest light, it is preventative healthcare. Mm. It is how we can, through our diet, through our food choices, through our lifestyle, how we can take really really profound, deep good health, uh, good care of our health. Mm -hmm. And um, in in this way, I think there's a like I say a great potential for integrating. Ayurveda and the, and the traditional wisdom it offers with the advances of modern science as well. Mm -hmm. I, I love how you articulate that because I think so often we as a culture tend to compartmentalize and mm -hmm. there can be competition about which method is the right method or the best method, but to recognize that there can be integration, there can be synchrony, even in the healing systems that we use to support a balanced lifestyle and a lifestyle of alignment and, and also how you emphasize the accessibility of Ayurveda. I think yeah. sometimes people can feel a little bit intimidated when understandably so when they're being introduced to a new model or system that may be different from what they've been exposed to previously and that at its core many of these principles and practices really are very accessible yeah even even commonsensical mm, you know mm -hmm. but I, I think in in many ways sometimes that makes people second guess like oh am i really understanding this this sounds so obvious, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel like, again, that's one of the, the true strengths of Ayurveda as a system mm -hmm. is that it is intuitive, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, it, it mm -hmm. is um, really based in some, in some shared understanding of how the world really does work. How does mm -hmm. nature really work? And of course, our bodies being part of nature, um, how does our body work in this relationship with nature that we are living within. Mm -hmm. um, that's another way I like to describe Ayurveda is that it is even more so than a medical system, which has certain connotations in our culture, what that even means. I like to say that Ayurveda is a set of, of guidelines that helps us to live in harmony with natural law, mm. with, with nature's construct mm. with nature's mm -hmm. real under underpinning how do we live with that and in accordance with nature's law mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because in reality we are so interconnected with nature yeah i mean we, we could say and it's funny it's the same way that i i kind of chuckle over when i find myself saying body, mind, medicine. Yes. I, I, I chuckle because there's no way to pull the two apart. Exactly. Body, body mind, medicine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in my estimation. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I feel like it's even more than we being interconnected with nature. We are nature. Mm, yes. <laughs> and it's easy in our, you know, inside of our homes here or in our offices to feel like we have to make a concerted effort to get outside and to integrate with nature. And yes, I think that's true. And it's helpful to be literally outdoors, but just to recognize that we are our nature. Mm -hmm. When we take a breath, when we put food in our mouth and our, and our body starts digesting, like all of that, that is, that is nature at work. Mm -hmm. So Ayurveda teaches us, really, um, it teaches us 
how does nature work? How does my body work? How does digestion work? Mm -hmm. And again, not so much from a mechanical sense, but more from the question of how can I support proper, easeful, comfortable digestion? Mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that's something that the ancient texts of Ayurveda give really helpful guidance to, because for a lot of us in a modern time, we have gotten kind of disconnected from the sense of what even is natural? What mm -hmm. is, um, you know, what, what is a, what is an appropriately functioning digestive system do? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm sure we'll, we'll get into to more of the nitty gritty around that, but it's funny because a lot of times people will say, well, I don't know what, what is a normal, um, what are signs of normal digestion? Mm -hmm. yeah. And many of us don't even necessarily feel like we know. Right. Well, for many of us, it's not something that we've been taught to know or that exactly. has been passed down to us or even validated as an important sign mm -hmm. of how right. we are in or out of balance. And just to go back for a minute to what you said about your chuckling about mind body, it's so interesting that you say this because just the other day I was talking to someone about coming up with a different word <laughs> because this phrase mind body, it emphasizes this dichotomy, this false compartmentalization and, and they are one and the same. And, yeah. and I, I love what you said about nature in that way too. We are nature. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that even our, even in our language, there, there has been this infiltration of this paradigm that is, so it helps facilitate communication, I think. Mm -hmm. And it has our, it has its downsides in terms of sending certain messages about the separation between. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The separation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I find our language is so important, not only in encouraging us to perceive the world in a different way, you know, that, that, that's, I think, I think the key point I find with Ayurveda, the word itself tells us a bit about what is the purpose of this, of this science. Mm -hmm. um, Ayurveda it's made up of two words or two roots in Sanskrit. So this is the ancient language of Sanskrit. Um, Ayur means life. And Veda means knowledge or um, science. So Ayurveda is the science of life. Mm -hmm. So it, it has a, a body of knowledge around what supports life, what extends life? Mm -hmm. How do we increase our longevity? Mm -hmm. And interestingly, um, even for myself, when I first started studying Ayurveda over a decade ago, I didn't really recognize the fact that what I, here in the United States, took as mainstream medicine or, you know, the medicine, mm -hmm. <laughs> what I thought was neutral as, you know, like medicine as a system, to discover that it had a name, that, that our Western medical or modern medical science has a name, um, which is allopathy. And then that has a whole particular set of principles and rules that it works by. And allopathy, that word is made of two roots. 
aloe and pathy. Pathy comes from the Greek meaning pathology or um, pathos, you know, the, the, the sadness we could say. Mm-hmm. It's the sign of what is not working, right? So that's how we see it in pathology. It's disease. Mm-hmm. And aloe means against. Mm. So allopathy is the medical science that is intending to work against disease, mm-hmm. which is an incredible gift for mm-hmm. those of us who may find we have disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great mm-hmm. to have some tools mm-hmm. to go against disease, but it just sets up the Ayurveda has just a different focus, a different mm-hmm. um, orientation. Mm-hmm both in terms of the preventative lifestyle orientation, as well as the the wisdom orientation. Like when a sign or symptom shows up, it's our body's way of communicating to us that something is is out of balance. And so I think that is another interesting way in which the term Ayurveda infiltrates the philosophy of, yeah. of Ayurveda and the approach of Ayurveda. So well said. Yes. Yes. So Ivy, I know that to really fully give justice to Ayurveda would take both of our lifetimes combined mm. and more. <laughs> so that would be a very long podcast episode. Um, so I would love to do our best to cover what we can with the recognition that, that it is a short time and one question that I think might be useful in terms of, of where to begin could be, how does one know, per Ayurveda, when we are out of balance? What are some of the signs that might indicate to us that we are not in harmony, that we are not in balance, that that maybe some kind of adjustment in lifestyle or some kind of tool Ayurvedically could be helpful or warranted? It's mm. a great question. And I think the answer is we can take it from a, a number of different angles. Ayurveda, one of its great gifts, I'd say, to um, those of us who may have been raised in other perspectives of healing, is that it offers a model for understanding differences from one person to the next. Mm -hmm. So this concept of constitution, that I am born with a particular constitution and it's different perhaps from your constitution, that we at baseline have some notable, measurable, identifiable differences. So, this is one of the, 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 the great, I could summarize one of the great ways that Ayurveda is, is unique from some other medical systems is that there's literally no such thing as standardized treatment. Mm-hmm. Because at baseline, we recognize that each individual has a different constitution. Mm-hmm. So if you're having one particular illness or imbalance, and if I'm having what looks like the same imbalance at our constitutional level, there may be something different going on. Mm. So this is one of the things that many people first get introduced to Ayurveda um, is, is in the context of this idea of constitutionality Mm -hmm. and the term of dosha. Mm -hmm. 
which um, you may, I mean, I know you've heard um, that term, <laughs> but um, for many people who don't yet know much about Ayurveda, they may have heard of this term, the doshas, and that there are three primary qualities that we could name that may dominate someone's constitution. Um, I don't know if I'm leading us down a road you are wanting to go, Melissa, but this is just how I tend to think in answer to your question. What are the signs that imbalance mm -hmm. has, has, mm -hmm. has cropped up? We first have to answer the question for ourselves. What does imbalance even mean? Absolutely. So Ayurveda says that we are all born with some particular status and we could call it our constitution. Then through the course of life, through exposure to certain aspects of nature or through stress or through a big meal of heavy food, any number of influences, that may cause us to veer off from our baseline mm -hmm. of experience and to feel some kind of sign or symptom. Um, so at a real basic level, that sign or symptom that something doesn't feel right, um, that's our sign mm -hmm. that some kind of imbalance has, has crept in. Mm -hmm. So some of us may be more sensitive than others. In other words, some symptoms are big and loud and mm -hmm. obvious mm -hmm. and we all would notice them. You know, that's um, a, a strong fever, let's say, you know, or um, constipation um, or some kind of anxiety that prevents you from your daily activities of daily living. Mm -hmm. So these are big symptoms that are signs of imbalance, signs that something has taken you away from your baseline. Now, Ayurveda also shows that there are certain imbalances that may be hmm, not so loud, not so noisy, mm -hmm. not so noticeable from the, uh, for the standard person or mm -hmm. for you know, the, those of us who are used to watching out for the big signs, um, but more subtle signs of imbalance. Mm -hmm. um, these, this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about how sometimes we may not even know what does healthy digestion feel mm -hmm. like or what are, the, mm -hmm. what are the markers of, of healthy digestion. So um, maybe we've gotten used to the fact that um, you know, we, we don't have an appetite until lunchtime. And that's just our norm. Well, in Ayurveda, we would say, huh, we generally would like to see some appetite crop up somewhere early in the morning as an indicator that your digestive system is flowing, mm. that you've got some good fire building up in mm -hmm. your gut and that your body is going through its natural uh, cycles of digestion, elimination, heating back up for the next installation of meals so that you can digest and take in all of those nutrients. So a lack of appetite would be an indicator of, oh, there's a little bit of imbalance here. Mm -hmm. So again, imbalance meaning I've strayed away from my baseline. Mm -hmm. 
So any number of things may be a sign of imbalance, um, but the obvious ones are the big things that anybody might recognize are, mm-hmm. are signs of, of discomfort mm-hmm. in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but then these other things like, huh, if we are not digesting well, we might feel a lack of appetite. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might feel some irregularity in our elimination. Mm-hmm. Um, we might feel some sense of unease in mm-hmm. our psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, our, we might feel some anxiety or some depression or some sense of being overly sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, these all may be signs of, of a mild imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is not something that we need to call out the fire trucks to put out this, you know, enormous <laughs> fire, but there may be something we can do to support mm-hmm. returning the system to, uh, to a state of balance and mm-hmm. to a place of greater ease. And I love what you said about how sometimes these signs can operate in subtle ways because we have become so habituated to them. Mm. that they feel like it's just how things are, especially with things that are more chronic. Mm -hmm. So feeling like I've been a low energy person most of my life, for example, and that's just how I identify. Sometimes I do think there is some discernment and often some help from working with an Ayurvedic practitioner or other healers to, to suss out what is my constitution, so to speak, what is my, my more balanced, true state and, and what is something that has, is more of an indication of having veered off course, because sometimes it can be hard to have that kind of clarity when you've lived in a certain way for so long. It reminds me of the first time that I got glasses when I was in sixth grade. I got glasses and I could see the leaves and trees. And I thought, oh, this is what trees look like. But for so long, I hadn't, I I couldn't see very well. And so I thought trees looked a certain way. And that was my mental representation of a tree. And then it it just opened up so much possibility. So, um, so yeah, so sometimes we can just be so cute, so used to things being a certain way that we Mm-hmm. we can't see as clearly. And that's not a judgment. It's just how our system adjusts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, you mentioned this earlier, we may not have been taught mm-hmm. what to expect or, or what to see as quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I have mentioned digestion a number of times, mm-hmm. partly because Ayurveda really sees digestion as being the primary function of the body mm-hmm. that sets up and feeds all of the other functions of the body. Mm-hmm. So that if we aren't digesting well, then chances are something else downstream may get impacted, mm-hmm. uh, will, will get impacted, mm-hmm. um, and may result in other challenges. Mm-hmm. So um, we really look a lot at digestion as mm-hmm. being one of the primary things we want to ensure is is having a proper flow mm-hmm. um so uh, you know similar to your eyeglasses <laughs> story mm-hmm. um i've had clients who when i ask them I, I we have a fairly extensive kind of intake interview uh not interview but you know health history mm-hmm. um where i might ask okay so tell me a little bit about your um your elimination mm-hmm. 
And they'll say, well, you know, I have a bowel movement every three days. And I'll say, oh, well, that's not very frequent. That sounds like constipation. They're like, oh, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not mm-hmm. a conversation I had with my family, you know, right. with my, my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's an example of where you're right. Having conversation with, with mm-hmm. and that's a, maybe a more obvious one, but having a conversation with an Ayurveda practitioner um, or doing more reading. There are a number mm-hmm. of fabulous books out these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, learning a bit more about what Ayurveda would, would see in that um, mm-hmm. kind of assessment of mm-hmm. what, what are, how are all the systems working at, mm-hmm. at your baseline and mm-hmm. where might that be an indication of, of something that's uh, not balanced or not healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I would love to talk a little bit more about digestion because as you said, this is a, a big topic when it comes to Ayurveda. And I think oftentimes, again, because we haven't necessarily been taught or conditioned in this way, people often see digestion as something very separate from the mind and how the mind mm-hmm. functions. And I know that that you know me and how I practice, but for me in because I have this lens of Ayurveda that I bring to my psychology practice on, on my intake forms, I ask people about not just typical meals, but when they eat, how they eat, what they're doing when they're eating, what flavors they tend to crave, what flavors and spices they prefer. Um, and sometimes people will say, there are a lot of questions about food on here and, and feel confused about it. And so it's great because then we can have a conversation about that, that connection. And again, as we're saying, they're not necessarily separate, the mind and the body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just love for you to talk a little bit more about, you've touched on this already, but a little bit more about how digestion and balanced, healthy digestion supports the entirety of our being and our life and what some of the Ayurvedic tips are for promoting digestion. So that's kind of a two-parter. Yeah. 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 So I think one of the ways that Ayurveda sees nutrition and digestion as being these real pillars of, of health, mm-hmm. there's a recognition, and maybe I'll step, take a sidestep here to say one thing that Ayurveda, one way that Ayurveda defines the body is that it is made up of seven different tissues. That's the best translation of the word. Um, but it's not tissue quite like we think of tissue, but we might more aptly say organs, mm-hmm. um, that there's seven different layers of tissue that get nourished when we eat food and digest it well. So the first layer that gets nourished by our food is called the rasa. And this is the portion of the blood that is the plasma. Um, it also includes the lymphatic system. So this is the first tissue that gets nourished. And this is the tissue that circulates. Its responsibility, we could say, in the human body is to carry nutrition around to each and every cell. Mm -hmm. 
The next layer is the blood, meaning the red blood cells. Mm -hmm. And that carries oxygen around to every cell. Now, if the first layers of nutrition, the first of the seven um, tissues, are not getting fully nourished, if we, in other words, are not digesting well, and we can't take in the full complement of nutritional value that our food is offering, then we may not fully nourish those layers. And again, downstream, the subsequent layers of tissue, which includes the muscle and the adipose tissue, and the nervous system, mm -hmm. the bones. If we, if we do not have the full complement of nutrition that's coming in and being digested adequately, then we aren't building those tissues adequately. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of like a overarching view of why it's so important to have healthy nutrition mm -hmm. um, so that we are sufficiently getting all of the nutrients we need to all of the parts of the body that mm -hmm. need it. Um, in this way, you know, the mind, which we could see as being connected to the nervous system mm -hmm. tissue, um, may not be getting all of the support, all of the nutrients, all of the, um, you know, it's funny because we use the word nutrient, but there's kind of this, this subtle level that goes along with our, with our foods as well. It's not merely the building blocks of nutrients. Um, Ayurveda would say that we also carry all of these subtle forces um, in our food as well. The prana or mm -hmm. the life force system um, is, is also carried in our food. So if we aren't digesting well, then we just aren't allowing all of the deeper parts of our body to be really well nourished. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's part of the reason that Ayurveda really emphasizes digestion so mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's understood as the way that mm -hmm. we build a body Yes, and then sustain that body. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And one of my teachers, Dr. Vadya, would often say, you can't mentally, emotionally process something if you're not physically processing the foods that you eat. And I think that is in large part informed by this Datu system that, that you're talking about, that there is a sequence in which these tissues get nourished. And, and there are all sorts of metaphors we could think of for this, right? Like with the house, we build the foundation first and even the kosha system and yoga um, to, to arrive at our truest expression, our Atman, our soul of ourselves, we need to attend to our Anamaya kosha layer first, which is the food body. So, so I do think that there is a lot of wisdom in this teaching I, to me, when a certain teaching shows up in different modalities, <laughs> it's, it's especially important to listen to it. Um, and, I, and I appreciate your, your explanation of how this works, even on a very micro level, the, the nourishment and the need for, for digestion for all parts of our, not just our physical body, but our pranic or energetic body and our mental body, et cetera. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that idea of how when things show up in, in other systems, like it's, it's a confirmation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Ivy, do you have, I know, again, this is a very complex system and and digestion doesn't just happen in isolation, right? Our Mm -hmm. lifestyles also support our agni, our digestive fire, how we're processing the foods we eat and the choices that we're making given our constitutions in terms of food choices also affect how we're processing things. So I, so I, I'm artificially compartmentalizing this for just a minute, but again, for those people who are newer to Ayurveda and, or maybe who are very well versed in Ayurveda, I think it's still helpful to hear from a different teacher each time how they express these teachings. What do you see as some of the core tips in terms of supporting digestion? So the first thing I always like to say, you just mentioned this word, Agni, Mm. which is the Sanskrit term for fire. Mm -hmm. And we use it in the context of digestion to refer to that fire of that, that powers our digestive system. Mm -hmm. And my teacher, Dr. Vasant Lad would describe a little campfire that you might have literally in your belly. Mm. And he would say, if that campfire is burning well, then any food, any fuel, any logs that you might put into the campfire will burn brightly, will give off a beautiful light, will give off some heat and energy, and in time will be burned down and you know, disintegrate into ashes. If, however, that fire is very small, if your agni is very small, then it would be like putting an enormous log on top of a tiny mm. fire and the, the log would not catch. Mm-hmm. It would not burn up. It would not mm. give off light and energy and heat. And in fact, it would put the fire out. Conversely, if your little campfire in the belly was burning too brightly mm-hmm. and you put in some food, you put in some fuel and it rages even higher. It's going to singe the pine tree up above. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to damage the tissue around the belly and cause a forest fire, cause a problem. So I have found this analogy to be very helpful to think about. We want to have a little, campfire, a little sense of of digestive power and strength happening in our gut. Mm -hmm. And one of the best indicators of a healthy agni, a healthy Mm -hmm. fire, is that we get a regular appetite, Mm -hmm. meaning the appetite shows up around Mm mealtime. And we eat a meal and our appetite gets taken care of, gets Mm -hmm. resolved, Mm -hmm. but it comes back for the next meal. So that's an indicator of really good, healthy fire. Mm-hmm. So an indication of, um, of imbalance would be, like I mentioned earlier, if we don't have an appetite. Mm-hmm. So in terms of a tip around this, one way to think of this is that it is really optimal if we are guided in our digestion, if we're guided in our food consumption, by a sense of that fire in our belly. Mm-hmm. So optimally, 
it's best to wait for your appetite to show up before having a meal. Now, this may sound really obvious, but for many of us, particularly in a modern time, um, if you have a schedule that's quite full, mm -hmm. many of us have gotten accustomed to eating by a particular schedule. Mm. And we forget to even notice, am I hungry mm. at mealtime? Mm -hmm. So that would be tip number one, is to really pay attention to your appetite. Mm -hmm and to eat accordingly. Mm -hmm. So most of us have, uh, if you know, most of us have a smaller appetite for breakfast mm -hmm. and that's understood, like that's mm -hmm. predictable. And many of us may not really recognize that for most of us, we will have a much larger appetite for lunch, for the midday meal. Ayurveda teaches that this is actually for most biological bodies, this is when we are most equipped to digest food mm -hmm. and to get the full nutrient value out of it. Mm -hmm. So this would be tip number two. Ayurveda advises having your largest meal mm -hmm. in the middle of the day mm -hmm. because this is when the Agni, the digestive fire, is strongest in the mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. Now, many of us are not used to that and we're used to having our evening meal be the largest. So the suggestion here is to shift that, that balance and to make your midday meal larger mm -hmm. and your evening meal relatively smaller mm -hmm. in comparison. Mm -hmm. But either way, to really be guided by your appetite. So back mm -hmm. to tip number one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, be guided by your appetite, but that might require just starting to pay some extra attention to mm -hmm. that appetite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, another, I'd say tip number three around supporting healthy digestion is to attune to your mental state mm. when you are eating. Mm -hmm. Again, many of us are accustomed to eating when we're told, <laughs> when mm -hmm. we've told ourselves, you know, when we've scheduled it. And if we are having any kind of emotional upset or distraction away from the activities of the digesting gut, Mm -hmm. then that can pull Agni away from its effort at the, mm -hmm. at the belly. So avoiding eating when we are emotionally distraught or mm -hmm. angry or triggered in any way mm -hmm. with a strong emotional response. Um, if we're tearful, uh, if we are, like I say, really, really angry, any of these strong emotions would be times to um, step away from the digestive process because we are not going to digest mm -hmm. as successfully. Mm -hmm. Come back to it when appetite, when appetite is present again. Mm -hmm. So we still want to make sure that that happens. Um, and the fourth thing I would say, and I, I could keep going for, you know, up to I know hundreds, for hundreds, days. But let me just say, <laughs> yes. I want to say one more <laughs> because it's so important. Um, and that is to observe and honor the bodily urges mm. that come up. So I've already mm -hmm. mentioned that in terms of the appetite and following mm -hmm. that urge for hunger um, or the urge of thirst. But also if we have the bodily urge, for example, to yawn, mm. to mm -hmm. belch or mm -hmm. burp, um, 
to pass gas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so while these may feel like, um, you know, taboo topics to talk about, Ayurveda gets right into all of the processes of the body and how important these processes are in mm -hmm. giving us an indication that the body has a need. Mm -hmm. And we, therefore, as the caretaker of this mm -hmm. body, we are obligated to follow and observe and honor those urges. Mm -hmm. So allow the burp or the belch to come mm -hmm. because your body is recalibrating around something. Mm -hmm. um, when it's polite and appropriate, maybe you need to excuse yourself so that maybe that would be more appropriate sure. because based on the cultural, you know, what's going on currently. Um, but likewise with passing gas or um, other urges like sneezing and coughing, mm -hmm. these are mm -hmm. signs that the body has a process it needs to release. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another factor that absolutely impacts healthy digestion. Mm -hmm. When I tell my, um, my 10 year old nephew about this, he is very satisfied. <laughs> no. <laughs> he feels validated and he his... feels validated. Yes. <laughs> He's allowed to allow exactly. his belching. Yes. <laughs> well, I love all of those tips and I know there are many more and I wanted to comment on one of them, which was paying attention to emotional state while eating and our digestive fire potentially being the strongest at the beginning of the day, because I think for many people- Well, I'd say in, the, the middle of the day. The middle of the day, is that what I said? Did I miss You said the beginning. You oh, sorry, beginning I meant to say middle. Yes, okay. middle. Thank you for correcting me, Ivy. Definitely sure. middle. Um, sure. That's often the meal of the day that people tend to rush through who are in traditional work environments because they maybe don't have a lunch break, they're working through lunch, maybe they're even eating in their cars. Of course, this can happen during other meals. But um, so I think this idea of, of eating mindfully, paying attention to your emotional state so that you can also chew your food. I think there are some mechanics there too that are really important. And I think for me personally, this also ties into transitions into meals. And for our family, something that that we've done for the past year or so is we have one minute at the dinner table before we begin eating and people are allowed to do whatever they choose in that minute. It's a silent moment and we don't start eating yet. They can think about their gratitude for the meal, who made it, all of the people who contributed to growing what was included in the meal. It can be so doing some deep breathing, it can be reflecting on their day. So just having even just this one moment, which a six-year-old is very capable of doing, even a high-energy six-year-old, that this one moment, I think, helps with this process of being aware of hunger, of bodily urges, of mental state in a way that, as you said, can all together improve our digestion. So I share that just as an example of ways that we can personalize these teachings and make them our own and figure out how even in the context of a hectic lifestyle, we can still find a way. And sometimes it, it does require some creativity and some trial and error to figure out what works, but that there is possibility. And that really is the spirit of Ayurveda, as you said, that it's not one size fits all. There are, there are guidelines, there are principles, and they are meant to be catered to you and personalized to you, not standardized across everyone. So 
I love that. Yes, yes. One other uh, structure I give for that mm-hmm. same idea is to take 10 breaths mm-hmm. before eating. Mm-hmm. And 10 is enough breaths that you actually start to pay attention to the breath. Yes. <laughs> you actually start to mm-hmm. notice what's happening when I take mm-hmm. a slow, long, deep breath. Mm-hmm. And I suggest taking 10 breaths before you start eating mm-hmm. and 10 breaths at the end of the meal mm-hmm. for the same, the same reason. Mm-hmm. So often we are used to having to jump up maybe because we yes. are eating at our desk um, mm-hmm. or because yeah our children are are excited about the <laughs> post dinner activity whatever it may be um, but yeah having those those 10 breaths at the end of the meal i think similarly give mm-hmm. the digestive system a chance to you know wrap up part of its part of its work you know mm-hmm. um, that's that's really lovely i love your minute well, I love your suggestion too. We'll have to bookend it and and, That's right. and, and instate some kind of transition out too, because yeah. that is equally important. Yeah. And as you were talking, Ivy, I was thinking about the, this time that we're in of, of stress and not, of course, COVID, but also just this era of time that we're in where there's a such a high emphasis on productivity and efficiency and fast paceness and just how much stress people were under even before the pandemic. Um, So that's one, one train of thought is stress and ways in which Ayurveda can support us in managing stress. And the other related train of thought is that when we are in times of stress, we often become very disembodied we become disconnected from our bodies and our intuition and the wisdom from our body, the urges of our bodies. And I think that has been exacerbated to some extent, at least in my own personal experience with the pandemic, because so much of our interactions are virtual. So in many ways, I'm such a hugger, I'm such a physical person and to not even have that way of being in my body to express those urges. So it seems like the heavy virtual nature of our times and that sort of overstimulation virtually for many of us also contributes to disembodiment. So I guess I'm thinking about these themes of disembodiment and stress and how you see practices of Ayurveda as supporting us in one or both of those ways, because I realize that's a lot of questions wrapped in into one, but we'd love to hear you talk about other kinds of Ayurvedic teachings or Ayurvedic practices that you could reinforce and or introduce to people that could be helpful in in these times that we're in. These are incredibly odd, stressful, disembodying times. And I have been so grateful in the past year since uh, the pandemic started to have access to these teachings. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm feeling so grateful for the generations um, who have preserved these teachings and passed them on because Mm -hmm. it's the medicine we need for this time. And because Ayurveda always points us back to the wisdom of nature, what I've observed is that it is pointing us back to two things. It it points us back to our inner voice, 
as a source of guidance, as a source of wisdom, mm. it points us back. It, it locates authority within us, mm-hmm. within each of us. Mm-hmm. Again, our modern medical system with all of its strengths, one challenge I find with it is that it often poses the authority in an expert, in, an, in a person outside of ourselves mm-hmm. who has mm-hmm. the information, has the guidance, has the tools, the medicines, mm-hmm. what have you. Whereas Ayurveda points us back to ourself mm-hmm. and says that wisdom lies within us because mm-hmm. we are part of nature to the extent that we can reconnect to our own inner intuition or just what quote unquote feels right mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. For many of us, that's a journey because we may not feel like we hear that voice very mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I recognize that is often, I know certainly for me, it had, has been a journey to hear that voice of guidance within. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ayurveda points us back within ourselves. And then it also points us out, meaning outward to mother nature mm-hmm. as another source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. I find I've been doing all of my work in the last year, like so many of us through zoom, through Mm -hmm. uh, virtual contexts. Um, I too am a hugger, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like having my arms pinned by my side. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So to be reminded that nature itself is restorative and is all encompassing. You know, when we step outside, when we go for a walk around the block, when we put ourselves in an environment where we can smell natural smells, Mm. we can hear natural sounds, we can hear birds, we can hear water rushing, we can hear, we can hear a rock Mm -hmm. if we listen for it, to recognize that there is all of this input that Mm -hmm. we can receive from nature. That is restorative and it is, it is medicine. So, like I say, I feel like this is the medicine of our time also because there's profound teaching in Ayurveda around how do we reduce stress. Mm. And in the language of Ayurveda, for those who may have heard it, again, the, the idea of the doshas, there's this idea of vata dosha, which is the energy of air element and space element. Mm -hmm. So Ayurveda is a five element system that recognizes everything in the world is made up of these five elements in different proportions. So vata dosha is comprised of air and ether or space. And this becomes just kind of a shorthand for referring to the influence of air qualities, meaning, Mm -hmm. you know, air itself is mobile, it's light, it moves when you know the wind blows, um, so that mobility can get within us. And space is the lack of feature. It is the container within which all the other elements reside. We talk about cyberspace. And so many of us are now living in cyberspace mm-hmm. in a way, living in this virtual disembodied uh, reality. So consequently, these elements can get aggravated or Mm. there's an excessive amount of them. Mm -hmm. So that is vata dosha aggravation or elevation. And that's what's happening right now, Mm -hmm. systemically across Mm -hmm. the board for most of us. Um, 
And that can show up as anxiety. It can show up as a feeling of disembodiment. It can show up as a feeling of um, well-disturbed energy flow within the body, like mm -hmm. disturbed digestion, constipation, mm -hmm. um, bloating, distension. It can show up in the mind, as I said, with anxiety, a, a feeling of um, mental looping, um, mm -hmm. that recursive thoughts or, or repetitive thoughts, um, um, obsessive thinking mm -hmm. even. So there are a number of tools, and I'll just mention a couple that specifically can help reduce stress in this mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And the first is perhaps not intuitive for those of us living in the West, living in our modern <laughs> medicine, but it is profoundly impactful to have a self-massage with oil. Mm. So in Sanskrit, we call this abhyanga. And abhyanga is actually a very simple practice of taking some warm oil. Um, you might use sesame oil. That's the classic oil in the ancient texts. And place it on your skin. So this is often done best right before a shower or a bath. Use um, long strokes to rub the oil across your skin. Use circular strokes on the joints and just cover as much of the body as you're able and willing to, to cover. And to really take the time as you are able to breathe while you're taking in this, this self-care. And oil in the practice of Ayurveda is one of the most profound forms of medicine mm -hmm. that helps to nourish certainly the tissue, the skin. Mm -hmm. um, many of us have an immediate feeling of, ooh, that feels good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> an immediate response to it that feels calming and quieting. Um, a feeling I, I always have, have described as, it feels like I have these frayed nerves that are sticking out of my skin in mm. all of these pokey edges. And then you just put on a little bit of warm oil and gently, lovingly, you know, bring it in, um, rub it in. And those frayed edges feel like they're calmed and, mm -hmm. and quieted. Mm -hmm. So this, I think, is a profound form of self-love. In fact, in Ayurveda, the word for oil is sneha. And... It's the same word that's used for, to refer to love. So when we place oil on our skin, it's a really, it's a, it's a form of self-love. Mm -hmm. And I have so many clients who have said, this has changed their life, mm -hmm. <laughs> that they are not overstating it. Mm -hmm. That this experience of giving an abhyanga, of, of just, you know, doing a little gentle, oil massage, mm -hmm. and then stepping into the bath or the warm shower, um, it can do a lot for the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And that's how we would see it in Western science, perhaps, is the way that it really calms and quiets the nervous system. It helps us shift from a sympathetic nervous system response that may be more in the fight or flight, agitated, need to protect the, you know, protect the territory mm -hmm. kind of, of response, and helps us shift into that parasympathetic nervous system, mm -hmm. uh, nervous system response. And, and it's lovely to do before bed if you're able. Um, and it helps to quiet the mind before, before sleep. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful practice. And yeah. I think in, 
in Vata times, there can be this felt sense that I don't have time. I don't have time. And so I don't know if you've gotten that from clients as, as well. And as you said, I think it's, it is something that doesn't have to take that much time. I mean, of course the intention is not to rush through it and and just get it done with to really have it be nourishing and to enjoy it and for it to be a loving expression towards oneself. So for people who are feeling pressed for time, you could start with just the head and the feet, for example, and try that for about a week. Like there, there are ways that it could be broken down to, to try it on and to not approach it in an all or nothing way. Because I do think that once we notice the benefits that can then incentivize us to continue with the practice. Um, And so sometimes it's the, the intimidation or anxiety around that's going to take up a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time. And so if there is a way that we can, take a piece of it and try it on, I think that can be valuable. So I just, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I know you have other practices you want to share. I just wanted to add that tidbit because that's something that I hear from people a lot that they want to do it and, and they understand the rationale. They just feel like, oh, that's another, another thing. Um, but but yes. it can really, it can be integrated and it can then nourish us in ways that help us be that much more present for other things in our lives. So it is rejuvenative and it does, it does give back. Yes. My best bite-sized introduction is (laughs) through the feet, as you mentioned. And I recommend doing it right before bed, Mm -hmm. putting socks on over Mm -hmm. like cotton socks after you've just put a little bit of, of, of oil on the feet, rubbed Mm -hmm. it in put socks on so it doesn't bother your sheets and then go to bed. Mm-hmm. It's a great, a great introduction into mm-hmm. Abhyanga for sure. Um, another practice I would mention is um, pranayama or breathing mm-hmm. practices. Mm-hmm. There are countless different types of breathing practices, but mm-hmm. one that I found really helpful for reducing stress, reducing vata is what I call the three-part breath, or many people call (laughs) the three-part breath. Um, And it's a real slow, easy breath. Mm -hmm. Again, for people when we're feeling like, oh my God, I'm anxious and stressed and I don't have much time. This is a lovely one in that it only takes the time of a breath. Mm -hmm. And yes, if we can set aside three minutes to sit down, even better, lie down Mm -hmm. and bring attention to the belly. And this is the first part. So just breathing really into the soft belly, letting the belly expand with the inhale and letting it fall back in towards the mid body um, on the exhale. And then expanding the inhale with the next breath up into the rib cage. So we first fill the belly, continue the inhale into the rib cage, and then continue the inhale up into the chest, which is the third part. Exhale just happens spontaneously, naturally. But the real point here is to relax the belly. Mm -hmm. And for many of us, this brings us right back full circle, Melissa, back to digestion. Mm -hmm. For many of us, we carry our stress in our belly, in the gut, in the Mm -hmm. musculature of the abdomen. Mm -hmm. And this constriction can cause digestive discomfort or Mm -hmm. problems. So softening, really intentionally softening the musculature of the midsection of the belly so that your inhale can descend and fill the belly first. That's the main part of this breath. Mm 
-hmm. So sometimes I just call it the belly breath and let it, let it be that simple Mm -hmm. to do this in your car before you get on the road. If you're having to drive these days, if that's part of your stress to do it at home before the kids get off of their virtual school, Mm -hmm. whenever you might feel any, um, any stress and any opportunity to just bring attention to the belly. Mm -hmm. And we can also recognize this is, the home site of our personal power, our personal mm-hmm. um, agency in the world, mm-hmm. and to inhabit it, mm-hmm. to inhabit it with our attention. Let the mm-hmm. attention come down from the mind and the mm-hmm. brain, mm-hmm. come down into the body. Mm-hmm. This can be a really profound, rejuvenating practice. Yes, another very beautiful practice that you can also do with your kids. If for those people who have kids, you can teach them. And sometimes we put lovies on the belly to help mm. bring the focus there. So it's another, another lovely practice. Nice. And, and you had a third you were going to share? Did you? Well, or, I, or not? I, I, it depends on timing. Yeah. I can give a third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't if you wouldn't mind giving your third and then I have I do have one more question I want to ask you okay. before we wrap up although I wish we had more time because I have so many <laughs> questions. But yes, I would love to hear your third tip for stress management. Okay, my third tip for stress management is about taking in warmth. Mm. So again, vata is cold. Mhm. So taking in warmth is really important Mm -hmm. and we can mix this with the importance of staying well hydrated. Mm -hmm. So having a cup of warm herbal tea mid morning and mid afternoon Mm -hmm. or as your schedule allows. Mm -hmm. Um, So simple and having herbal tea, which means it doesn't have caffeine Mm -hmm. will help always to bring in these calming qualities of the warmth and the liquid. And one herbal tea I would recommend, especially is Tulsi. Mm. Tulsi is one of the beautiful paragons of herbal, uh, herbal health in Ayurveda. It is understood to be a tonic herb, which means that it helps everyone. It helps to strengthen our system. And Ayurveda also teaches that there's a an aspect of Tulsi that helps to support the mind Mm -hmm. and even beyond the mind, it helps us to feel our connection with nature. Mm -hmm. It helps us feel the connection with all of the universe. Mm -hmm. If we want to get at that level of it, Um, it has incredible botanical elements that support the body and has a real affinity for the lungs and for Mm -hmm. respiratory health. So that's one herb I might specifically recommend. Um, And it's become much more common, much more Mm -hmm. mainstream. You can find it in many grocery stores, Uh, of course, many places online. Mm -hmm. So Tulsi tea, you just brew it up like you would any other herbal tea. Mm -hmm. And to have a cup in the mid morning, uh, it can be a nice way to reset Mm -hmm. your, you know, if you have been revving on one project or one challenging train of thought, mm-hmm. it's a nice way to just reset, reconnect to your uh, core self and, and enjoy that, um, well, that support, that, mm-hmm. that, that sense of a friend, that ally mm-hmm. that we have in herbal medicine. I love that. I love thinking of herbs as friends and supports. Yeah, yeah. yeah. me too. 
And I love Tulsi. It's one of my favorite herbs. Mm, so yeah. I love that recommendation. I love all of your recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Tulsi, by the way, is also known as holy basil. So for if you have trouble finding Tulsi, holy basil is the same. One and the same. Yeah. Well, so Ivy, as I said, I have many questions I want to ask you and I am rolling through my mind which one to choose. So the one I've landed on is that one of the most common complaints or challenges I hear people talking about these days is the tired but wired feeling at bedtime, um, oftentimes around you know 10 p.m. Um, or a little bit earlier, and and or sometimes people refer to it as more of a second wind, right around the time they're trying to go to sleep. I often hear, I don't know if this is related, so would love to hear your perspective on this. People talk about kind of a crash in the two to four p.m. range, just feeling really exhausted. Um, but th those are two challenges that I hear people talking about: the tired but wired feeling at night, the sort of crash in the two to four p.m. range, which I know is a can I, correct me if this is wrong, but I think is a vata time of day. So I'm curious to know if you have any thoughts about that for people who are struggling in those ways. What might they do to address some of those challenges? Absolutely. Beautiful question. So you just now alluded to the vata time of the day. And mm -hmm. indeed, Ayurveda observes that there are cycles of these energies that we named with the doshas, um, cycles of these energies that become prevalent at different predictable times of the day. Mm -hmm. So vata, the air and space qualities are prevalent from two to six, mm -hmm. both afternoon and conveniently, AM as well, just for memory's <laughs> sake, it becomes easier. So 2 to 6 PM um, is a time when those Vata qualities are more pronounced in the environment. Mm -hmm. And again, we are part of nature, so they are more pronounced within us as well. And that crash, that 2 to 4 crash is quite common. Mm -hmm. What I find, however, is that one reason that that's quite common, that many people might feel an energy dip at that time, it might be because they have not adequately fueled the body in the midday, you know, the, the noontime hour. If we take the time to really fuel the system with literal food and drink, you know, literal fuel, then the body may have this surprise, surprise, this resurgence of energy that can carry us through the afternoon. So that's the first place I look is, ah, am I fueling myself mm. in the midday mm -hmm. sufficiently so that I can make it through that two to 4 PM uh, potential dip in right. energy. And mm -hmm. often that is, that is it. That's the, that's the crux of the problem. And if we can mm -hmm. get a more nutritious meal, but not only larger and, and more nutritious, um, but also taken in, in a calm environment, mm -hmm. sitting down, not walking from, you know, one room to the next, eating mm -hmm. your leftovers from a plate, you know, mm -hmm. from a, from the takeout container, but actually sitting down and really having that, that time for fueling. Mm -hmm. um, the other consideration is if you are living in a state of perpetual vata aggravation, well, then in the vata time of the day, it's just more likely to get pronounced. Mm -hmm. So to take that time when you're feeling even more vata agitation, 
to do something specifically vata pacifying. So mm -hmm. the things that we've already touched on, have mm -hmm. that warm cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Have, if, you, if you're at home and if you have the capacity, um, you know, to, to put a little oil on your hands, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, to, to spend even five minutes doing the belly breath, mm -hmm. uh, to get away from all the other noise and distraction mm -hmm. and to read a soothing, calming book of poetry that may mm -hmm. sound like a, a reach if you're in the middle of a stressful, busy day. So, you know, three minutes away where you can look out the window and just breathe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, something that's going to help address that vata aggravation mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. might help with that two to 4 PM crash. And then your other question around the 10 PM hour of the evening. Indeed, just as we have observed these predictable cycles of energy in the day, right at 10 PM, it is said that there's a shift into a different energy that is pronounced, um, that, is, that is emphasized, we could say, by the imagery of that fire. We have the same mm -hmm. fire in our belly, mm -hmm. pitta dosha. So pitta dosha is strongest in the midday and the midnight. And that makes it a great time um, for in the midday for digesting our food. But in the midnight, we shouldn't be eating. <laughs> we should be, <laughs> in fact, allowing our body to do the digestion, mm -hmm. the detoxification, mm -hmm. the processing of all of the physical inputs from the day, as well as for the mind to do mm -hmm. the digestion of the subconscious work of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's really recommended to be asleep in the midnight, meaning from about 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. That hour, that uh, stretch of hours is best for sleep. However, if we haven't fallen asleep by 10 p.m., that resurgence of fire energy in the body does give us a predictable second wind mm -hmm. right at 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. So almost everybody I speak to can vouch for that. If mm -hmm. they are awake at that hour, they recognize, yep, here it comes. Mm -hmm. There's a second wind. Mm -hmm. So it is so important that we get uh, sufficient sleep these days. Mm -hmm. It is the number one way of combating stress. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really helpful and important to make sure that we help ourselves wind down for bed so that by 9.30 or 10, we can actually be under the covers. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard to do for many of us if we've been used to a different schedule, mm -hmm. but it's really worthy to start moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Just 15 minute increments at a time is how I recommend trying to make habit change. Mm -hmm. So just start moving your bedtime a little bit earlier if you've been used to a later bedtime. Mm -hmm. And to really use some other tools to help the body wind down, help the mind wind down. I recommend guided relaxations mm -hmm. as a great first step. Um, Insight Timer is a free app that has fabulous guided visualizations, guided meditations. Um, Calm is another free app that has some resources mm -hmm. so that you can get somebody else's voice in your ear talking you through mm -hmm. a physical guided relaxation. Mm -hmm. um, that can do incredible, it can be an incredible support for making the transition Mm -hmm. into a restful state of mind mm -hmm. so that you can bring your body to rest before mm -hmm. 10 p.m. Right. And of course, the Abhyanga and the three-part breath practices also practices that could be used in tandem with some of those guided 
relaxations in order to prepare the mind to wind down in order to sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Any other kind of ritual you can create for yourself Mm -hmm. also helps. Mm -hmm. So you start giving your physical system some cues. Yes. Ah, it's time to wind down for bed. So Mm -hmm. any, any, you know, a lot of us may have had experience with our children helping to bring them to a restful state that mm-hmm. how much the ritual helps, right. you know, they, they know Absolutely. they get two stories. They know mm-hmm. that they get the special lovey, as you say, or what have you, mm-hmm. any rituals that, that works for us grownups too. Right. Right. We're not all that different. <laughs> many, as of it turns things, out. And many of the things our children need, we need to. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Oh, Ivy, there is so much more I want to ask you. You are so wise and so loving. And the way that you talk about Ayurveda is so helpful. It demystifies it. It makes it accessible. And I feel so lucky to have had this conversation with you today and and so grateful to have you as a friend and a colleague and a teacher and just am in such an admiring fan of yours. And so thank you so much for, for being here today and for sharing your love and wisdom with us. And, and I, I know that we will probably hear from you again at some point. Mm. So (laughs) I would love that so much. Yeah, Melissa, this has been so much fun and really just so, so, um, yeah, so inspiring to me to hear also to know that the work that you're doing um, in this domain that so often does get compartmentalized as the brain, the domain yeah. of the mind, and how important it is to bring in these perspectives of the holism yes. that we represent. And I know your work in the world is so profoundly powerful. Um, it's, it's, it's such an honor to get to have this conversation with you and to, get to talk to your people a bit. Oh, thank you so much. It, it truly, that holism is something I truly am so passionate about and believe so yeah. strongly in. And so thank you for being a partner and helping me spread that wisdom and, and that word. So thank mm-hmm. you. Absolutely. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for listening to the science and soul of living well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave us a review. If you'd like to reach out or connect more, please follow me on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next time.